0: Many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson.
1: Amigos, muchachos, good afternoon, good day, wherever you are in the world. Hope you're having an epic day. It's Boomer Anderson here and welcome once again to the Decoding Superhuman podcast. Occasionally I get to have on really cool people. Actually, I always get to have on really cool people. And that's what I love about running this podcast is that we're looking at this vast world of health and separating really true from false and giving you awesome pieces of actionable information that you can use in your everyday life to become more epic, more superhuman, better at whatever you particularly want to be better at. Now, my guest today, provides a wealth of information, but also a number of tools and technologies that you can use every day to monitor yourself, to just really get into data and understand a little bit more about yourself and what may make you tick, what may make you a higher performer. My guest is Bob Troya, more affectionately known as Quantified Bob. Bob is a technology entrepreneur and citizen scientist who has been at the forefront of digital innovation and emerging technologies for at least two decades. He's a leading voice in the quantified self and biohacking movements, and this is exactly how I came upon knowing Bob. And Quantified Bob, his website, documents his personal efforts focused on the intersection of data-driven citizen science, health and wellness, human performance, longevity, and self-optimization. You can go to his website at quantifiedbob.com. In addition to consulting and coaching, Bob is also working on building tools that make self-tracking easy. As an avid self-tracker, I can tell you this is extremely important. I'm looking forward to a lot of the things that he's doing right now. He wants to make it frictionless for busy people. Bob is the co-creator of Awesome. Yes, you heard that right. Awesome, where you can go and really check out that app at isjustawesome.com. And it's an app for fast, simple, Photo-based meal tracking. So think of it as a better way to track your meals, a simpler way, through photos. Because photos do hold you accountable for what you're eating. And he's also going to be soon launching a human optimization facility in New York City. This conversation ranged so far and across a number of different measurement domains, so to speak. What did we talk about? Well, we got into, well, frankly, you should just listen to the show, but we got into air quality how to monitor it, how to improve it, got into water quality, how to monitor it, how to improve it. How did Bob get the name Quantified Bob? What types of measurements does he focus on? And really, what else do we get into? I'm just looking at my show notes here, and this is pretty awesome. We got into exercise, how you quantify the intensity of exercise, the different types of ketone meters out there, and what he would recommend, and craziest experiments that he's ever planned. So many different things. And finally, Bob's favorite resources in terms of books on peak performance. And a lot of those happen to come from the quantum health world, which I enjoy. The show notes for this one, which you really want to check out, are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash quantified Bob. That's quantified Bob. Over to my conversation with Bob and have an epic day. Bob, welcome to the show thanks for having me so uh, i'm so glad you're here today because we've had the chance to get to know each other a little bit over the past couple of conferences whether it be quantified self or paleo fx and i've had some fun playing around with some really cool toys with you so thank you for coming on the show uh, but i have to ask the question because i don't actually know the answer off the top of my head where did
0: quantify bob come from there's actually not a real great elaborate answer to this um <laughs> Basically, I've been doing a lot of self-quantification tracking, self-experimentation for for you know, as long as I can remember. And I don't know about was it six years ago when there was like the first quantified self conference uh, kind of happened. It was really the the community was kind of just getting organized, and it was around the first time I realized there were other people like me that were kind of weird and like really into understanding things about ourselves through data. And I had been kind of tracking experiments and and documenting things, and I. I just needed a way to get this stuff sort of down on paper or down on screen. So I had, I, I was like, Oh, I'll set up a blog. I'll, I'll just throw that stuff up there. And I needed a domain name for, for the site. And I was just like, literally the first thing that came in my head was quantified Bob and it was available. So I, I got it and the rest is history. So there's no, you know, No real big uh, story to that. All right. So then this
1: begs the question, how did you get into quantified self in general? Because I think everybody has an interesting story behind this. You know, I I got into it because I just wanted to feel and perform better at work.
0: But how about yourself? So in terms of like when, it's hard to pinpoint because I've been doing all sorts of self-tracking and measurement, you know, almost as long as I can remember. Like when I was a teenager, uh, a lot of it was around sports. And back then, the tools we had were not, that's sophisticated. So you're using like stopwatches and tape measures and scale, you know, regular scales. And mm-hmm. um, but I was using it, you know, from training perspective to understanding diet. You know, we didn't really have accessible data on nutrition info, so I was having to go to libraries. And yeah, you know, I was always kind of curious about, you know, myself and understanding what makes me tick. So it kind of goes way back to those days. And then as I got into my professional life, the and you get a little bit older, the, you start shifting from okay, I'm trying to be an elite athlete. Let's say you are doing all that to I want to optimize myself in this sort of high-pressure, high-stress world of business. Um, my background as an entrepreneur in technology, and is running a few companies. And you kind of realize, like, how can I, you know, move those knobs and and kind of get things in a in a real optimal state, so I can always be on. And that was kind of my my path down the U.S. and and over the last, let's say, really the last seven or eight years, we've seen the advancements in technology that are now allowing us to very easily well, more easily access information about ourselves and quantify things that we just couldn't do or it was very expensive, like in a lab. And that, for me, was very exciting. And you kind of go down this rabbit hole of, you, you know, you go from things like diet and, and, and rethinking the, your your belief system around eating to what's really happening on a, on a deeper level. And so I kind of got deep almost almost like the, the, the quantum level of, you know, understanding biology. And, you know, so I really geek out on this stuff. But from a quantified self perspective, you know, I think it, we focus a lot on health and, and our bodies and stuff, but QS also touches on all areas of our lives. So anyone that's ever balanced a checkbook or done finances, you're, that's quantified self. <laughs> you, know, you 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 have a, you know, a calendar, you're, you're quantifying, you know, you can go back over time and see what you did on different days. So, you know, but, I, for the, but most people will associate quantified self with trying to optimize their, their bodies and their minds, et cetera. But I, I just I like to make that little clarification.
1: I mean, it's a very good point, and I actually didn't even think about the checkbook thing. Here in the Netherlands, we don't have too many checks, but I, I remember the days of checkbooks back in the U.S. So, how do you get inspiration for some of your tests? You talked a little bit about performance improvement in general, but where where does like the divine spark come from, so to speak?
0: Yeah, there's a few areas. Uh, the first is some people will structure out uh, something they want to quantify or set up an experiment because they're trying to resolve something. Maybe they've got a health concern or performance. They want to increase performance. Uh, that's one area. And so I may just look at myself and be like, what's an area where I'm like, hey, I need to like my sleep is terrible or you know, I want to go in that direction, and figure out how to optimize it. Another area would be just understanding our, ourselves better. So I like to dig deep and just see what makes me tick. And, and when I come across different, you know, whether it's a tool or, or I read a research paper or something like that, I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like there's a lot of information, let's say, about fasting. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, let me try some fasting experiments and see what, you know, what, what does that do for me? And so that's for me is like you're either, you know, one of those kind of areas. And sometimes it's just a kind of conversation. Like, let's say we're talking and you're telling me something you're working on. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Maybe I'll just try that and see if I get the same result because we'll often find we may not. And that's fine because we're all end of, end of ones, right? Or I might come across a, an experiment someone did and I'll be like, well, I want to take that concept and maybe tweak it a bit. I want to change the parameters of the experiment, but it's in that same area. So I definitely like rely a lot on the community. To, like I see what other people are doing. and I'm just like, wow, that's really inspirational. I want to try that for myself. Mm-hmm.
1: So if somebody's just looking at getting into this world, uh, I think there's a lot of misconception about quantified self uh, in terms of just how you can get into it, how to start doing it. And you touched on this a little bit with the, the checkbook analogy, but if you're looking to just get into quantified self experimentation for the first time, what are some of the things that you'd recommend for people, maybe some of your coaching clients to do and how would you recommend structuring the experiment? Because I know for me, for the longest time, structuring the experiment, or actually even still, is pretty significant in importance because otherwise you may not get the, the right measurement or the right outcome. Where would you recommend people getting started?
0: Well, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I would say for most people, you know, they want to dive in and start measuring all sorts of things, and that's great, but it can be overwhelming. <laughs> um, and I really think, I mean, even for myself, so so really what you want to look at initially if you're just getting into this is what are some basic baseline passive measures that we can be taking? And so a simple example would be anyone that's wearing some sort of fitness activity tracker, you know, it's it's passively collecting heart rate you some step metric, maybe sleep. And even if you're doing no experiments, you're at least gathering that data. And I think you really need to establish some baseline information before you can start anything. Like you need to see where you're at. So if you start today and start make a change, you're not gonna know what was happening before. So I highly recommend, you know, getting some baseline numbers and in a way that's easy and not overwhelming. The other challenge is even if you have that data, a lot of these tools and apps, they'll show you the information. It's very hard to get insights or make correlations of the data, but at least once you have the information, you can start structuring experiments. So let's say you wanna just measure your daily steps. Now, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, is 10,000 is kind of a made up number, but let's just assume like you wanna look at, you know that certain days of of the week, you do more walking or running or activity than the others. So we can start, just looking at that, you'll see, and just by observation of that, you can find trends, right? You might be like, well, certain days of the week, I commute to work and do this. So I, I walk very little. These days I go for my run or um, a hike or something like that. And you can start seeing that trend. And then the second step would be to like find a correlation. So maybe you'll realize like on days when certain things happen, like if I, if I train in the evening, I perhaps might not sleep as well. Maybe I'm awake more. I'm more more wired in the evening, but versus if I train during the morning. So you have to sort of think about what insights you can get from there, but why you want it. And even structuring an experiment, I I mean, that's sort of the second level. The first is just getting data and being observational. Mm -hmm. I think before we do experiments, we need to observe. But once, let's say we were able to kind of look at some insights. Now, this is still very much on you, right? You're you're trying to come up with what insights you can pull out, it's not like you have someone coaching you or telling you like, hey, we're going to look at this, this, and this. I, I'll give you a couple tips on that in a second. But from an from a experimental design, often when we do this single subject um, N of one, it's called an A-B experiment. So you have your baseline, you do some change, you see if there's any effect, right? And you want to isolate your variables. There's another one that's more like uh, an ABA. So you kind of have your before Uh, you'd make your, your change and then you go back to where, where you were. It's a little more, you know, more advanced, but you can almost see like, did what I changed create a lasting response?
1: So an example of that would be like going on a paleo diet for 30 days and then going back on to whatever diet you were on before. Would would
0: that be an example? Yeah. Let's, let's assume you, uh, you're going to make a dietary change and let's say you're going to measure your, just something simple. Like you've got a scale that measures weight and body composition. Mm -hmm. You're going to track it, you know, and even there, like it's going to move around day to day. So people freak out, like, oh, I gained three pounds today or two pounds. It's like you want to look at the average, the base, there's like a seven day moving average. That's the important number. So you establish some baselines. And let's say now I'm going to go for 30 days, I'm going to cut out alcohol. Or I know that's like I am not drinking alcohol or, you know, diet. A diet might be a little more complicated, but we can make it really simple. For 30 days, I'm not going to have alcohol. Is there something happening over those 30 days? And then on the, the next day, I, I mean, I don't go back and binge drink on day 31. But let's say you have a few, let's say you have a few social, you know, drinks during the week. You go back to it and see what the, are things going back the other way. Like, is, are you going back to your before state? And and that would be like a, a simple ABA experiment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and not all experiments have to last. I mean, 30 days is like a long time for an experiment. But sometimes you do need to give yourself enough time to do it. Like if, I've done fasting experiments where maybe you can measure something over just a few days. And, and see what happens. But in terms of, back to your original question, you know, what are some simple metrics, and you talked about, uh, you were talking about earlier, aside from just getting that baseline, biometric data, you know, and sleep data, et cetera, there are some things that you can measure very easily that kind of give us good insights uh, about ourselves. And I would say the first would be just measuring your uh, blood glucose. Mm-hmm. A glucose meter, you can buy them anywhere. They're really inexpensive and and they have these little test strips that go in and you draw a drop of blood on your finger. So put it on the test strip, five seconds later, you get a number and you can start understanding your glucose, like whether it's your fasting glucose every morning, like before you eat anything during the day, or you can actually take more frequent measurements and see, like maybe you want to understand more about your response to diet or foods or exercise and kind of see your trend throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go really far with glucose. I mean, that's probably my number one like thing I like to measure. And now there's even these continuous glucose monitors that um, I know in Europe, you can buy them, I think, over the counter. You can. Yeah. So I'm in the United States and I've had to order them from overseas, but now they're available here, but you need a prescription. Mm-hmm. But they're great. I mean, it's, they're, they're pretty great in the sense of, you know, it's this little thing that sticks on the back of your finger and it's continuously monitoring your blood sugar and you can get all the data off it. And now you can see things like, not just one point in time during the day, but you're going to see your entire, like what happens while I'm sleeping, what happens while I'm exercising or after a meal. And you don't have to write anything down. <laughs> it's doing it all for you. Um, and you can just export it into like an Excel a spreadsheet or a CSV file,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is pretty cool. So I would say glucose and blood sugar is definitely one super important area, especially from looking at our overall health. I think it's a great indicator or you know proxy to other things. Uh, the second uh, and I don't know if you've spoken about this before but uh, would be heart rate variability okay so heart rate variability if you think of like your pulse is let's say 60 beats a minute so I know my heart beats at 60 beats a minute but it doesn't beat at the same like it's not like there's one second between every heartbeat there mm-hmm. can be like 1.01 seconds or 0.9 seconds and that variability is what's called heart rate variability and it's a sign of your body's stress response or your fight or flight response, if you're very stressed out, like let's say a lion's chasing you, you're going to be in a very, what's called sympathetic state. Your body's going to be stressed out. Your heart rate variability will will reduce. meaning your heart rate will be much more consistent. Whereas when we're like resting and digesting, you'll see the more fluctuation, your body's very happy and relaxed and your your HRV will go up. So one metric you can do is it started like an athletics where you can kind of search for things like overtraining, or I can go hard today in my workout by uh, your morning hrv so as soon as you wake up before i even get out of bed i take a like a two-minute measurement Mm -hmm. so measuring my heart rate and i get a number and so the trends will be established and it will tell you like okay today you can you know go really hard it actually can predict things like oh you're you're gonna get sick in a day or two like you can see these things in the data
1: i've had that happen to me recently a question for you just on the
0: app do you have any ones that you recommend for people to use For the morning work, uh, the morning HRV readings, I use an app called HRV number four training. So Mm -hmm. it's HRV for training. Um, And you can use it in two ways. You can either wear um, a chest strap to send signal from, you know, get your heart rate data. So it's like what the runners use, one of those um, polar chest straps. Mm -hmm. But they also have the, they've got algorithms now that, you can use the camera on your phone in the flash. So you put your finger over it, the flash illuminates your finger and it can actually pull your signal off off of that. And they've got it very highly correlated with the EKG level. So if you don't want to have to put on the chest strap, you, you know, let's say you can just grab your phone or your device, do a two minute reading, and then it will show you like a, a metric. They boil it into a recovery score, but if you want to get under the hood and look at the certain HRV, the raw data, it's there. Um, another one is called... Um, Sweetbeat HRV. Mm-hmm. What I like about Sweetbeat HRV is I can like run a session. So like, let's say right now we're having this conversation, and I wanted to see how nervous I'm getting while I'm talking, <laughs> or if you're on stage <laughs> or something. You can do a real time session, which is really cool. Um, whereas HRV for training is kind of more like a spot check. Like I use it every morning, mm-hmm. and and then there's another app called uh, Elite HRV, which kind of does a little of both mm-hmm. of those apps. I think it's a paid app, and they'll give you a metric each day but also if you want to run a session, you can do it. So there's there's a handful of apps out there that will do this with a, just an inexpensive chest strap or using the camera on your phone. Mm-hmm. There are some wearables out there that are trying to do it more for like elite athletes. And from what I've seen, a lot of them are having difficulty, like you can't really extract it just off the wrist, like wearing like a, a Fitbit or something like that. Like Aura, they can do it. They will do your HRV, overnight. So the reason they don't do it during the day is the, the signal can get very noisy if we move around day, during the day like walking, moving our hands, uh, running. So during sleep you're relatively still so they can try to extract that signal. And what you'll they'll show you is kind of your HRV overnight and they'll give you an average score, which may be different than the score you get from like HRV for training. I've noticed sometimes the correlations are not quite there. So maybe mm-hmm. overnight I woke up a few times so it messes up the average But when I look at my recovery score in the morning on HRV for training, it actually says, no, you're actually pretty good. I I always find like having multiple things to kind of look at, to kind of compare, like, I mean, that's why I I wear like a few different (laughs) activity Uh, trackers. You
1: you and me both. I've got, well, you mentioned a wrist one. I'm trialing the whoop and then I have the aura right here. It's, uh, yeah, I, I know the feeling about wearing multiple trackers though.
0: Right. And so, like that device, Whoop, is that's supposed to be like much more high frequency sampling, right? Mm-hmm. Of HRV data. But like a lot of um, professional sports teams and elite athletes are trying to use that as a better recovery metric. So, it's, it's kind of like a more professional grade device than maybe some of the consumer ones. That's why it's more expensive. Yeah, exactly. So I'd be curious. I mean, I haven't used it much myself, but in terms of seeing how it correlates with other devices, I'd be, you know, I'd be inter- interested to see what you find.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll let you know, I've only had it for a couple of weeks now, so I'm just kind of still playing around with it and I'm still waiting to get the uh, the Aura app on Android updated, but I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. So Bob, I, I mean, this is great stuff. So glucose, HRV, anything else in terms of metrics you recommend people track?
0: Yeah. I think another one that's super important is, um, so we, we spend a lot of time, you know, looking at things, looking at metrics and measuring things about our bodies <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, we don't pay enough attention to our environment, mm-hmm. especially like our indoor environment. So I, I highly recommend people get an understanding of their indoor air quality because that's going to affect a lot of things. Imagine just looking at the air quality of your bedroom. So that's where you sleep. You spend a third of your day, if you sleep eight hours a day, you may realize like the findings you get from understanding air quality, the air quality conditions can affect your sleep, can affect your stress levels, all that kind of stuff. So. I highly recommend getting uh, an, an air quality monitor. They're they're relatively inexpensive. They're Wi-Fi connected. Often they'll come with an app, so you can like monitor it remotely. Mm-hmm. And you can even do things like set up these little home automation type things, where let's say my if the air quality drops below a certain level, let's say dust particles or something, I can have it automatically kick on an air purifier in Mm -hmm. my bedroom. So that kind of stuff, which is really cool. But I definitely feel like understanding your indoor air quality is a, is another important metric.
1: You went right into one of my next questions, which is on this air quality. So can we break this down in terms of devices and things that you would use to monitor that? Because it's, it's particularly of interest to me. I mean, I have a HEPA air filter here, but it would be nice to know sort of where baseline is before I even run the thing.
0: Air quality is also dependent on a lot of like where you live. So I live in New York City, so <laughs> yeah, it's a exactly. huge issue here, versus if you live out in the country and you can open your windows and get fresh air and all that. There are a number of devices out there. I use one called Fubot. Okay. It's relatively inexpensive and you, you just put it on your your home network and it's got a, a handful of sensors on there that will measure like dust particles, carbon dioxide levels you know it's doing temperature humidity and all of that i have not found one air quality monitor that has all the sensors that i would like in addition to some of the baseline kind of just looking at like dust particles or nitrogen dioxide and things like that i would be interested in looking at like sound and light mm-hmm. as well like those are simple sensors that they should be including on these devices because uh if we're going to talk about sleep at all, I think the, the data you get off an air quality monitor is going to be very important to look at if you have any sleep issues. But these devices, again, they're relatively inexpensive. You know, just a few years ago, like I, I had to basically build my own a couple of years ago.
1: That that sounds like an interesting conversation
0: in itself. You could... I didn't want to have to do it. It was an interesting, you know, kind of you know thing. But I, I kind of made my own. And once these other consumer devices came out, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to use one of those. It's like much easier. That'll give you like metrics on those gases and, and things that are going on in your home. Um, I mean, most of us, well, at least in the United States, like, like I think every home is already doing that. Like we all have like a, a carbon monoxide sensor in our mm-hmm. home. Like that's, you know, it's a very toxic, flavorless, odorless gas. And every home has to have one in there. And um, so we're kind of already doing that. Now it's just a matter of looking at these other things in our air uh, and understanding what, you know, what could be affecting us, our health, when should we open a window? When should we ventilate? If your home has like uh, gas powered appliances, is that, is that leaking into the, into the air you're breathing? Mm-hmm. You can measure all that.
1: That's awesome. And you mentioned that, you know, air quality playing into sleep. And the next one I wanted to ask you about is how would you go about measuring sleep quality? Because, you know, we talked a little bit about the aura, but are there other measurements that or devices that you would recommend in terms of just people focusing on or people having focus on? Things like, are there other tools? Are there other variables that you would focus on?
0: Sleep is a super complicated thing. I mean, measuring it, <laughs> yeah. you can do relatively like, you know, if you believe the data coming off your devices, let's assume, okay, I've accurate data showing my stages of sleep, my total sleep. So, and I'll know deep versus light versus REM, like dream mm-hmm. state. But in terms of what's affecting my sleep now, we're adding a second set of variables, right? So now what that can be everything from lifestyle, (laughs) like what stress is going on in your life, but in terms of like the most direct proxy, in terms of like things I can correlate, we talk about air quality. If you stack your sleep data overnight with let's say some air quality metrics, you might find that like, at least for me, it was insightful to see like, if I close my bedroom door, uh, overnight carbon dioxide builds up in the bedroom as I'm exhaling and breathing, Mm -hmm. you know, the oxygen levels are actually gonna drop and you may actually find that it gets below a certain point you will actually see you, you're waking up because your body's like, you know, not getting enough oxygen. That's just like an extreme example, but you may find out that like, you know, you're getting disruptions throughout the night due to noise or there could be a bright light outside, you know, the, all these things will affect it. In terms of optimizing sleep, it's just you really have to look at ways to optimize your environment. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a number of, like, I have a bunch of hacks in my bedroom. Some of them are very low tech. Like I black out curtains in my windows. My room is pitch black. So even if I wake up any time of day, I have no idea if it's daylight outside. I don't use an alarm clock. So I, 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 I'm pretty good at getting up at the same time every day. But getting sunlight signal right then doesn't, I don't need it because I will get up anyway. I've done things like through my sleep data, I, I saw that I'd have many little disruptions throughout the night. And I was like, huh, I thought I was sleeping eight hours solid a night. And I was in bed for eight hours. But if you look at the data, you're like, no, every like, you have all these little disruptions going on. And, it, you know, and, it, and I'm not saying I had a, like a sleep apnea, let's say, that's the extreme case, but something was happening where I was kind of waking up, waking up and it could have been the air quality issues or other things. What I found out was I had a tendency to mouth breathe. How did, so how
1: did you discover that other than just feeling that your mouth was dry? How did you discover that you were
0: a mouth breather? It was one of those things where I looked at my data and I think more on, you get better resolution of it on, I had like a Fitbit on one arm and like the aura on the other, the aura, Measurements aren't as frequent, so you don't see every little awaken or every little disruption. But the Fitbit showed a lot more, like tiny ones. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some research on kind of improving sleep and looked into sort of the mouth breathing aspect. Um, I, I just had a theory that there might be something there. And, and this may sound extreme, but it's actually not that bad. And people, for me, it's been a game changer. Um, mm-hmm. I started doing something called mouth taping. Ah. Yeah, You force your body to breathe through your nose and mm-hmm. and you do this by getting some, you can do it with some very inexpensive um, like medical tape that can peel, you know, it's not going to rip your lip off when you take it off, but it keeps your lips shut. You're not going to suffocate overnight. Everyone freaks out about it and looks, you know, if you see someone mouth taped, it looks scary. What I found was immediately, I had an immediate increase in my sleep quality. If you, if you ever wake up in the morning with a little bit of congestion or nasal congestion, like it, mine went away because... I was breathing through my nose all night, so it never it kind of prevented any any buildup. You know, when we talk about an experiment like get your baseline data, mouth tape, <laughs> see the data, and I was like immediate. That's a um, big one for me.
1: I, I think one of the cool things about sleep, and especially just listening to you talk about this and how you sort of stack your data, and you know, for sleep, obviously there's a whole bunch of lifestyle measurements that we can take too, from anything from Number of alcoholic beverages and then correlating it to deep sleep, something as simple as that, to, as you mentioned, air quality. But one of the things that I've paid attention to a lot recently, and I wanted your opinion on this, is water quality. There's a lot to be said in that quantum biology, quantum health world about water quality, deuterium, and all of these things. What do you think about that? And is it something that you look into often? And how do
0: you do it? I mean, the deuterium, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of become more of a topic, let's say, in the last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting is probably been in the research world for a long time. I'm not By any means, an expert of it, Mm -hmm. but if you want to talk about just general drinking water quality, let's talk about general drinking water. Okay, general drinking water. We talk about like tap water out of our sink, Mm -hmm. methods, you know, for filtering out the water. If you want to drink from the tap, everything from filtration pitchers and systems that will strip everything out of it, essentially ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Like I use a pitcher in my home; it's called Zero Water. It can work with the tap. I don't use. I don't drink tap that much <laughs> if i like i'll I'll never drink out of the tap but if i do it from the, the zero water filtered pitcher mm-hmm. i try to get as much of my drinking water as as you know mint, spring water mineral water good sources like that other people will install in their homes like a like things like a reverse osmosis system they'll do mm-hmm. things to kind of like rip everything out of the water again it's but the problem is that water is still what's called dead it's just been sitting in pipes and it's not like spring water and you have to still put minerals back into it because if you're drinking water that's just dead, it's not really hydrating you or anything. So, yeah. you, so I, I, and I feel we do so much to treat the water that I would rather just buy a case of good uh, spring water, mineral water, and that'd be my drinking water. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if I need to have something like how oh, I need to add some water into <laughs> something, I'll have that pitcher in the fridge, which I know is everything's been taken um, out of it. P- many people they they filter their water, they'll do all this, but then like they don't realize that when you take a shower. <laughs> it's the same water right coming out of your tap as the shower Ooh, and so yeah. it may maybe even worse because you, you might be like i don't drink tap water but then you shower and you're breathing in all the steam which is the same water that you're not <laughs> you know you're not filtering so I, I, I think it's super important for someone that if they're going to filter out the water that they drink out of their tap you can get a shower filter that's um relatively inexpensive it it, it fits right in like above the shower head and and it and that will also like strip out things like chlorine and fluoride and all that kind of stuff. So, um, a lot of people that use these filters will immediate, immediately notice things like their skin's less dry. I, think, I guess there's some benefit for like hair and skin and all that. But I think from the standpoint of just not breathing in the chemicals that you're filtering out in your drinking water, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a big big benefit there. Now on the on the deuterium side, I mean that's really I mean in the nutshell, like you can find more like these glacial waters, like Icelandic, I think is a brand, Icelandic Mm -hmm. glacial, like they'll show the ingredients and you'll see, it'll say like low deuterium. Deuterium basically is just another form of hydrogen, Mm -hmm. right? So it's hydrogen is like a proton and an electron. And what happens is there's this thing called heavy water, which is deuterium where where you actually have the the proton and a neutron. And without getting really deep into the science, what this really means is in our cells, our mitochondria, which are the energy power plants of our body, they need hydrogen in order to, to generate the power in our in our in our cells and in our body, so if this heavy water, the high, if the hydrogen that mitochondria uses the hydrogen from the water to, to do this, but if it's grabbing the heavy water with the, the extra neutron on it, basically what's happening is it can't run as efficiently. It's like a it's like imagine putting like a marble in a, a thing that's spinning and it's, you put in a heavier marble, it can't go as much. Mm-hmm. I'm really dumbing this down, but essentially that's what the theory is around why heavy water is not as good for us because you can't run at the energy level that you would with real water. So deuterium, the heavy water will freeze at a higher temperature. So some people will like put water in the freezer and just wait till there's like a thin coating of ice like on the sides of the container and, the, and you, know, you don't put a lid on it. So you, you want the top to freeze a little in the sides. And then you pour off the water that's in there. You throw away the ice because the ice is technically the deuterium. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then you'll do that a few times. You know, some people will go through those extremes. I mean, again, if the source water you're using to do that isn't good, because you're really getting a benefit, right? I just think most of us don't have the time. You know, to do all that. Yeah. So if I'm traveling and stuff, I just look for certain brands of water like that, like that'll say it's like low deuterium. But in general, like I find any good quality um, spring mineral water will, you know, that suits my needs. But you can, Like I said, you can do so much with water, but then if you're not looking at it all the way across the board, it's like you're, you're putting all this effort, your intentions are great, but you're missing a huge part of it.
1: It's like going back to the air quality one. If you do all this work to hack the air quality of your home and then you spend eight hours a day in an office and you could
0: do all this work and have it all reversed by... A bad office atmosphere, right? Exactly. Oh, and one more thing on air quality. I do think it's also important for people to get an assessment, like a mold assess- assessment in their homes, because mm-hmm. um, you may find like you're you've got some issues like you know around that. You know, there, there are some kits out there that will kind of test for it, like kind of like leave it open in your room and you send it into a lab, and they'll mm-hmm. say what they found in the air. But that doesn't always detect everything. Versus like when a professional comes in, and they can really look and identify like if they see stuff on the walls or go into a wall. Sometimes it's hidden. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, it's kind of like a really hi, a big hidden danger in certain parts of the world, especially with higher humidity levels. That's where you're going to see it.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine with old buildings too, uh, since I live in Amsterdam, something that definitely worth looking into for people. But more of a personal question for me, because I always struggle to measure this, and I'm curious how you do it the intensity of exercise, because either whatever device I'm wearing, I'm trying to find multiple ways to passively measure all of these things throughout the day. And I find that when I'm exercising, I haven't found a really good measure of intensity of exercise other than me saying on a scale of one to five, how was this workout? How do you do this?
0: Well sure there's there's different training like some people like want to be in a certain heart rate zone depending mm-hmm. on the type of training you're doing you know intensity can be very qualitative was that exhausting or is it okay and you know you can you kind of get a good sense of how your body feels but if you're trying to actually just assess the effort during the workout there's certain technologies that are coming out that are like basically glorified accelerometers but they'll clip okay. on the bars and things so you can get a sense of the force you're generating and and you can look at workout to workout maybe your reps were not as good as last week but maybe you're putting more effort into them there's like one that's called like push it's like a band that you can either strap on your arm or onto a barbell and it will measure those types of things you know now in terms of like the future fitness side of of, of it all there's a there's a machine called the arx it's basically you know if you think of this idea of super slow big five workouts where um, normally like let's say someone bench presses you know their body weight Mm -hmm. Um, That just means you can generate the force on the concentric Mm -hmm. part of it, but you can resist a lot more weight. But we can't in a workout because we can only put that much weight on the bar because otherwise we can't can't raise it. We can only only put on what we can raise. So what this machine does is it actually maximizes your effort on both parts, you know, eccentric and concentric. And so you're actually getting a much more intense workout in a very short amount of time. But what's cool is it's all hooked up to a a computer that's showing you your force output graph. So rep by rep. And, and you can, you can compare workout to workout, watch where you gain more power and, and, and just your strength and, you know, and maybe you can increase your reps. So this, you know, it's those, that machine is really cool. But I do think like, if you're just going to a gym and you're trying to get some kind of a similar measurement, like these things like push band and all that, you know, it's kind of cool to like, just be able to look and see the force you're generating on, on that. Now, from a intensity standpoint, like if you're, you know, being like, how wrecked am I from that workout? Again, I, I do think HRV is a great metric. So the mm-hmm. following morning, you'll see it, man. You'll you'll see your HRV just tank, yeah. and you'll be like, you know, I, you maybe and maybe you slept great, you slept awesome, but you realize your body's just in this recovery state. So it's like, hey, man, maybe take it easy today or do some restorative yoga. But mm-hmm. but then sometimes you might be like, hey, this is the perfect day to do that heavy. Like I'm gonna do deadlifts today and squats, and you know, because my body's in that state, I'm ready to go again. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've learned over the years, which is like you know, I used to work out like six days a week. And and I realized recovery is just as if not more important than the training. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to be really smart about recovery. And that's where you're going to get your gains.
1: It feels like you and I are sort of kindred spirits on the HRV thing in the morning, because uh, that's usually how I plan my workouts is how hard am I going to go today, really based on HRV. Because like you, I've done the 10 times working out during the week, thinking I was doing all these great things for myself. And the only thing I did was just jack my inflammation levels and ended up with injuries. So it's a good way to avoid it. Now, one thing here I I wanted to ask you is how much weight do you put on sort of qualitative metrics or subjective feeling metrics versus the quantified stuff that you're doing?
0: I would say personally, I always try to get as much quantitative data as possible you know, there's value in qualitative. So like, I know a lot of people will do things like they track their mood every day and it's a let's, whether it's to scale one to five or one to 10 or one to three. But what you find is like, let's say today I'm, I've never tracked my mood. And today I'm going to say right now, I'm going to start on a scale of one to five. How do I feel today? I'll probably say three. <laughs> that middle. Barrier. Cause it's the first day, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm in the middle, but then tomorrow I'm at, I'm going to say, okay, how do I feel compared to yesterday? Maybe I'm better. So I'm a four. And what you end up doing is over time you start honing in on what is really a three and what is really, because now you've got more stuff to compare to, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you can't look at the, probably the first week of data you're going to throw out because Mm you're, you're kind of, you're, you're calibrating essentially like mood is a, it's a qualitative measure very much. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you can go into EEG stuff and whatever, but that's not really so much a mood assessment. So I always try when possible. I look at numbers, but there are certain areas of life and, self-quantification that you have to do a more qualitative measure on Mm -hmm. i I definitely feel it's valuable but i think it's it's going to be i can't compare my data to you on that i can't say like if you show me 30 days of your mood and i show you 30 days of mine
1: what's baseline mood for both of us right (laughs)
0: yeah it's not like we're both saying here's my body weight here's my body weight like you know That's apples to apples. We're not comparing necessarily apples to apples. That's the only, you know, it's a very personal metric when you do qualitative. So one layer we haven't talked about yet,
1: and before I get into some some final questions for you, is more on the blood testing. So we've talked a lot about sort of different passive measures that we can take and uh, throughout our day but blood testing is another element to see you know and how i came to know you is through a blood testers experiment how often would you recommend let's say you have a coaching client them getting tested for certain biomarkers
0: sure so the average person will probably go in for an annual checkup Mm -hmm. and they'll order up some blood work so you know and then the doctor will be like all right see you in a year they'll be like oh your your glucose is high and your cholesterol is whatever at that one point in time, right? Yeah. And I think for, you know, if for the average person, let's just say they're feeling fine and there's, there's really no need, I think doing a full workup once a year. I mean, when I say full workup, it's not just like the basic blood counts and stuff. It's like getting into more hormone panels and all of that because it can it can get very expensive. So especially if you don't have insurance. Yeah. So you, if you do that once a year you're, and you've been doing it, I think that's fine. I think you can supplement that with more, you know, some of the basic panels maybe every six months, mm-hmm. you know, so it gets more cost efficient. But from a coaching client, like if I'm starting out with someone, I'll first ask them, like, show me your, your most recent blood work. And maybe they they actually ran some like recently. If they haven't, their doctor's gonna going to need to get a workup. up and, and then from that baseline, you can kind of say, are there things that look out of whack? And again, I'm I'm not a doctor, I'm you know, on the coaching side, I can't make those recommendations. So but I can say like, okay, well, we're noticing your, you know, maybe there's an issue. The person's telling, coming to me saying, you know, I, I have a lot of stress or something like that. And we'll say like, oh, well, they did some tests that showed like uh, their cortisol response was, you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's elevated. And now we dig into why what's causing that. It's often lifestyle driven. So I, I do think the... Uh, you know, blood work side. I think definitely once a year get a full workup and supplement it every six months. If you're doing any kind of experiment or you're trying to hone in on something, obviously you can get more specialized tests. Like so, for me, I'm I'm probably testing every three months just because I'm doing a lot of different things. But I'm not doing the same all the same tests every time. So like the the full blown hormone panels, maybe it's less frequent. Or if I'm doing an experiment in one area, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a very specialized test that just focuses on those numbers. I think there's some things you can get once, like genetic data you can kind of get that and you have it. It's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can change your environment. Will you know, your epigenetic expression will change but things like gut tests. They're great. They can, you know, in terms of like, they give you all sorts of insights, but there's a bit of a debate about accuracy and like, there's been people who have submitted three tests at the same time and gotten completely different results. So I think it's, it's interesting to look at. You'll get some good insights out of it, but I think you also need to look at it with a, <laughs> with a bit of a grain of salt, like in terms of like, if you're, don't start worrying that you've got some kind of infection or something. If it's not really there, you know, you, you the gut test can be, I feel it's not quite there yet.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm going to conduct that experiment soon. I actually have a few testing kits sitting right next to me uh, where I'm just going to send in all three at once and see what happens. But I, I agree with you. And also with gut testing, depending on what you're eating, it could change from day to day pretty, pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely. there's Like you could travel and, you know, let's say you fly from one country to the other And for a couple days and you eat and you go home, it's completely, your gut will change completely.
1: One question I have is, is there anything that you see people monitoring in the quantified self space or elsewhere that you just would say, stop doing that or say it's more of a waste of time?
0: I I would never say it's anything's a waste of time. If you're gaining, if you're trying to gain insights out of it, like I I think, you know, the, the challenge I see with more people is they, get frustrated or overwhelmed because they they get all into it and they're tracking a million things and then they're like, I'm not a data scientist. I don't know how to make heads, heads or tails out of this. And so that becomes difficult. I, for example, like I don't necessarily believe steps or like, you know, what does it really mean in terms of like, it doesn't give you a picture, you know, of someone's overall health. I know people who take 20,000 steps a day and they still need to lose a few pounds. Mm-hmm. But if the idea of that is changing someone's behavior a little bit for the positive, that's cool. So I'm not going to tell someone, like, don't get your steps. So like, yeah, but I, I, I'm not going to look at the number of steps necessarily and be like, you actually took 10,000 steps. Because if I compare devices, they're going to be off by, like, 20%. The trends might be the same. So you might know, like, I, went, I took 20% more steps today. That'll be pretty consistent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's other times where maybe there's data, like, maybe you want to understand your blood pressure. So you don't have to take your blood pressure every single day for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's important to, like, maybe you give yourself, do it over, like, a week or a few days. And you kind of see what's going on there. And then you don't have to do it anymore. Maybe do it six months from now or a year. So that's the other kind of like misleading thing with, with self-tracking is like people think they're always tracking everything all the time. And I collected stuff is great. You can have that data there whenever you want back and look at it. Like, especially like anyone who's like in business, busy professionals, like you only have so many hours in the day. Yeah. And if you're spending all this time trying to be more optimal (laughs) or be more optimized um, is kind of like defeats the purpose. So you need to be smart with with some of those. So that's why I I think it's not about wasting your time, but there's some, some people will order a bunch of lab tests right away. And the challenge there is unless you're going to do all the analysis of it right then, like together, things are going to change over time. So you want to collect the data at the moment. You're, you know, baseline stuff's great, but other specialized tests, you might want to get closer to when you're actually trying to have a particular Thing you want to measure or, or optimize mm-hmm. so you know and again and the, it's really just a cost issue i think you know some of these tests can get pretty expensive oh ridiculous you can spend thousands
1: yeah, of yeah. dollars very easily so bob one more thing on the ketosis side because in paleo FX, ketosis was a huge topic in terms of measuring ketones uh, you know there's three different ketones that we could potentially measure any particular favorites in terms of meters i i mean precision extra seems to be the gold standard but particular favorites in terms of meters or which ketone to measure
0: yeah my my normal go to is the precision extra that's what we have in the us i don't know if in, in europe and other parts of the world it has a different name i like it for two reasons the price is pretty good it does ketones and um and glucose so you mm-hmm. can use both types of strips so i use one meter it's like one tool for both there's, you know, there are other devices out there. I think I haven't used one. Like, there's a there's one called like Keto Mojo mm-hmm. that, um, in terms of blood, we're talking blood um, ketones here. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there's three types of ketones. So when we're talking about drawing it out of our blood, that's beta, basically beta hydroxybutyrate, like mm-hmm. right in your blood, which is the kind of the most physiologically active uh, form. So I would say like there's meters like that. There's there's tools to measure breath ketones, but really what those are measuring are acetone in your breath. Mm-hmm. They're using that as like a, it's a side product of a, something called acetoacetate. Mm-hmm. And the problem with their, with those devices, because it's breath, there could be more of a user error. Like if you don't breathe consistently into these devices, it can throw your results off. So it's almost like those results will get better as you use it more yeah. <laughs> because you're, you're more consistent with how you use it. My go-to is normally just the blood. Um, I can take, you know, high frequency measurements with with that. So that, yeah, it just comes down to cost because those test strips can be like two to three times more expensive as a, than a glucose strip. Yeah. But, you know, let, let's assume, you know, even at that cost, you know, are you measuring your ketones every morning? Like if, if someone's doing some kind of ketogenic diet, and they want to just say like, where am I at each morning? Um, when I've done fasting experiments, I've taken more frequent measurements, maybe like three times a day. I've also done experiments where I took like pure ketone esters and I was measuring it hour by hour and wow. just where I, I I went off the meter because it was like, it goes right in your bloodstream. <laughs> but I would say, for, you know, if you're interested in, in look understanding your ketones, uh, Precision Extra is great. You know, that's, that's a totally reliable one. And I've heard good things about Keto Mojo, uh, just haven't really, haven't really used it.
1: Ketone Esters brings about another question. Uh, craziest experiment that you've done on yourself, Bob?
0: I, one thing is like I, I always tell people is like when I do experiments, it's not about like trying to out crazy other people or it, I, I research the hell out of things. And so there's definitely, you know, I have to weigh these like the costs involved, the time and effort, the risk reward, right? So just to say like, you know, like I've got things planned around like things like stem cells. And but I'm planning that out and I have to basically weigh the, the, weigh the things, you know, the uncertainty and the cost and, and all of that with, with those experiments. You know, when we're talking about craziest, like I've messed around with some things that would be considered a bit woo, <laughs> like in the meaning, like, there. If I just told you I'd be hooking like electrodes up to my body and, and sending microcurrent, like certain wavelengths and frequencies in it that can target certain organisms and pathogens and stuff, you'd be like, this guy's crazy. But it comes, you know, I don't, these but, are things I'm experimenting with and mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily shared publicly, but I'm willing to like chat, you know, I have an open mind for everything, you know, and, and some of these devices and tools maybe completely complete BS, but I, I was, I'm like, I'm gonna give it a try. Absolutely. So in terms of creating this experiment, I mean, I don't feel like I've ever done anything that put myself in the potential for really permanent bodily harm, let's call it. The closest I would say where anything where you're putting any type of electrodes on your head, <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're running current anything where you're running current through your head or, you know, something to your brain, I w- or you know, that would be where you want to be the most careful. So a lot of people are doing um, TDCS, like trans, yeah. um, tra- transcranial direct current simulation. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're running a mic- uh, small current across your prefrontal cortex, let's say. You can put the electrodes in different places. And there's clinical devices out there they use in labs for big studies. And they're, they have all these safety measures. They have fuses and cutoff switches and all that. And they regulate that, that you can never have the, the amperage go over a certain amount. But you can make one with like a 9-volt battery. It's very easy. You can build your own in, like you know for like $5. And people are doing that and they're hooking them to their heads. And I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I need something with like a little more safety measures in there. Cause I don't, you know, when you're messing with like putting electricity through your brain, it's like this, it's cool. So you can do some really interesting things with it. But I think in terms of the, you know, you want to make sure it's safe.
1: Yeah. Again, we're just sharing information here. This is not a recommendation to do anything. Uh, you know, so the, the Reddit TDCS recipe to strapping electrodes to your head, you know, the, caveat up and tour with that one.
2: I
0: was gonna say, you know, along those lines, you know, a lot of people are into the things like nootropics and smart drugs and all that. Same caveats Absolutely. like I, you know, <laughs> there's there's some communities and forums out there that you can see what people are doing and
1: <laughs> some of it you kind of kind of cringe at, right? When you're reading it. So Bob, before we go into the final two questions, uh, I first off want to say thank you because uh, our conversations over the quantified self-conference were very helpful in just sort of helping me restructure a lot of the experiments that I'm doing. So thank you for that. But um, Bob, I have to ask you final two questions. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. So what's your top tool or technology that you're using right now to sort of drop into flow or enhance cognition?
0: So for me, my background's in technology. So I I get into these times a day where I need to be heads down and I'm just coding, writing code and software. And I just need like, you know, that, that, that flow state is really important. Um, I use a, there's a free website called brain FM. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, I think it's like brain.fm. And then what they do is they, it's like ambient music where they tuck in binaural beats. So the idea of in uh, training your brain into a certain wavelength, so it, it'll within 10 minutes, your brain starts getting to that kind of very focused zone. And so I will, have that on my headphones while i'm while i'm coding and it and you know three hours go by and you don't even realize like what just happened I've, I've definitely seen some benefit with that tool and it's free it's a free tool which i think everyone can be using
1: it's a great one and actually a recommendation of a, a mutual friend of ours timu arina it was the guy who oh, got yeah. me got me plugged into brain fm uh, as well all right so la- last question favorite book on peak performance
0: yeah, this is a tough question because in, I don't think there's like a, I don't think there's a Bible or one book for peak performance. I think back to like the the when the Q, quantified self and biohacking movements were kind of getting started. Like one of my first exposures to some things was like the Four Hour Body, right? Mm-hmm. It was like Tim Ferriss's book. But if you read that today, I mean, that book was really I mean opened my eyes to a lot of things. But if I read it today, it's already a bit dated in that the technologies that are mentioned there, there's new stuff out there some of the theories around diet, I've, I've evolved my thinking around. Um, so I know ne- I, I, what I like to do is read from different sources. And I kind of pick and choose parts that I, you know, I, I'm like, okay, I'm willing to expand my, my thinking on that. So I, I, I don't hold anything as dogma. I don't ever do that. So for me, getting deeper into understanding biology, physiology, let's say there's like three books that if you really want to understand how the body works and get really deep, Get really down that word, that rabbit hole. The first is a book called um, Life on the Edge: The The Coming Age of Quantum Biology, and it sounds very intimidating, but it's a book that anyone can read. It explains like what the inner workings of, of your body on a very very deep level. And then along those lines, there's a famous uh, researcher scientist, Robert Becker, who wrote a book called The Body Electric, which is like it was written 35 years ago, mm-hmm. but like you want to understand like how all the electrical systems and stuff of the body works and how it, it's just an amazing book. Like I, it, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And then if you want to talk about things like we were talking about, um, you know, water and structured water and all of that, there's a book called the fourth phase of water by Gerald Pollack, which it's it's pretty cool that you understand like the principles of, you know, just something as simple as water and why you can actually change its state into a state that's not liquid, <laughs> solid, you know, gas, it's this other state and do things with it. And, and, and I'm actually using devices now. Like I think we both use that device, the nano V yeah. and that, that relies on the principles of structured water. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you, someone can say like, this is all BS, but I mean, but it's being implemented. Like it's like, it's really cool to see that. This is
1: great, Bob. Thank you so much to everybody listening. The show notes are going to be at decoding superhuman.com backslash quantified Bob. Bob, once again, thank you. It's been a pleasure interacting with you over these past two conferences, and thank you again for coming on the podcast.
0: Yeah, likewise, Boomer. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Great. Everybody, have an excellent day. Superhumans, before you go, can I ask just one little favor? Actually, it's going to be two because I'm greedy. Can you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, wherever you're listening to this show, and can you drop us a little five-star rating? Yes, As I mentioned, I'm selfish. I'm a little greedy. But it would really help us get the word out on Decoding Superhuman. Now, why is that important? Well, because we live in an algorithm-based world, people don't get to see us until you rate us. The other thing, drop me a line. What would you improve? Think about that. What would you improve about this show? What types of guests do you want? What types of subjects do you want me to tackle? Podcast at DecodingSuperhuman.com. I look forward to hearing from you and have an absolutely epic day.